Welcome to the Purpose at Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Jacobson. This episode is brought to you by Guided. They help you stop employee burnout and turnover by providing great coaching for all employees so you can get out of the weeds and focus on building great culture. The best talent values learning and growth over everything else. They don't want to be managed. They want to be guided to realize their potential. So if you're ready to evolve talent development, make sure to check out getguided.co. Now let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Purpose at Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Jacobson, and today I have Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is the co-founder of HR Uprise, which is a social movement and global community aimed at inspiring meaningful change within HR. She's also the head of people and culture at Rational Interaction, which is Seattle's largest independent creative agency. So welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So I am really excited to hear more about HR Uprise. We got to talk about it a little bit beforehand, but can you, can you share a bit about HR Uprise and, and how that started for you? Yeah, absolutely. So about a year and a half ago now, um, when the Me Too hashtag went viral, a bunch of my coworkers and I, and in particular, the person I worked with, Nicolette Hawking, my co-founder for HR Uprise, we, like everyone else, were watching this conversation emerge. And it was a conversation that was happening that I certainly had not seen the likes of it before in my professional career. And I like to describe it as this kind of collective consciousness emerging um, around people telling their stories. And as someone who's worked in HR for almost 20 years, I looked back and thought, sure, I have, I looked back at my own personal experience. I thought, sure, I have you know, a couple of times here or there that, um, you know, been inappropriate comments made or things like that. But on the whole, I thought I've been pretty fortunate as an HR professional and, you know, conducting probably by now hundreds of investigations over the course of my career. I certainly have sat across the table from a lot of people who have experienced much, much worse than I do. And so as I first began to even reflect on my own experience, I thought I've been pretty fortunate. And on the whole, I really have. But then I thought about it a bit more. And this was probably the biggest turning point for me, this realization that I left the job I had before working for Rational because I spoke up about what a brutal and terrible place it was becoming to work for women. And I was forced out of the organization. And it wasn't even that. It was the fact that it hadn't even really occurred to me. It wasn't top of mind, even as I looked back and reflected on my own experience. And that in and of itself was maybe the biggest turning point for me. So we started to have these conversations. We watched Time's Up being formed within the entertainment industry. And you know, we're watching these conversations happening. The Golden Globes that year, everyone wore black. And all of a sudden, finally, the conversations are not about you know, who are you wearing? But it was much more about, you know, the really challenging environment within the entertainment industry. And we kept looking at each other saying, where is this in business? Where do we see business leaders standing up and saying, no more of this environment, no more of the status quo, time's up for that. And 
so we continue to have these conversations. And one of the things that kept emerging as, as we're watching this all unfold, I would hear conversations pretty frequently. Like, for instance, Gretchen Carlson, who is incredibly courageous and in being the first to speak out about her experience with Roger Ailes. She, in many interviews, people would ask her for advice. What happens, you know, if I'm experiencing the same thing or if I've had the same thing? And her advice was pretty consistent, which was, if you're harassed, don't go to HR. So I would see these headlines of different articles being written about HR is not your friend. And the argument was HR is there to protect the organization, um, not the employee. And as I looked at that, it was really, again, as an HR professional, really difficult for me to hear that. And yet, as I reflected, I thought, yeah, the, real, the sad reality is that in a lot of cases, that's pretty good advice for people. Um, a lot of cases, HR is not there to support the employee, or they certainly have, for a whole variety of reasons, taken the side of the employer to the detriment of the employee. You know, think about NDAs being required um, to cover up harassment, all kinds of things that manifest itself in many, many different ways. And so the more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, I really think that the audience for this, I just kept feeling like there, there was some kind of need to make a statement um, and to see if other people felt the same way. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought HR, it really is the audience. And so we were watching other, there were other organizations at the time using Instagram as a tool in a really different way than just, you know, sharing your breakfast photos. So they were using Instagram and in Instagram stories, which were still somewhat new at that point in time, as a way for really communicating um, in a completely different way. And so we thought, well, let's, let's create an Instagram account and just see, see if there's an audience out there, see if there are other, in particular, HR professionals who feel the same way. And so we launched it as kind of a test balloon. And the response has been absolutely overwhelming. And we have just passed now a year that we've been still Instagram is our primary communication vehicle for a lot of what we're talking about, the conversation that we want to have. But over the past year, we've been really struck by a number of different things. And I'm sure we'll have time to get into that. But it's really been incredible to see the response that we've gotten. It's been far more than we expected, even in a short period of time. And to see that there really is a desire for this conversation. And I think one of the things that struck us the most right off the bat were the number of non-HR people who have joined the conversation and who are really looking for something different from their own HR team. Yeah, it's, it is, you know, it's, it's incredible that we're still, I think still within HR, that's not really a conversation. And it's, as I was reflecting on, as you were sharing, it is pretty surprising that Me Too didn't infiltrate that much into the workplace. Yeah. Or it didn't well, really... interesting. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you see statistics now, because, again, it's, it's about a year and a half in, and we see statistics now that the EEOC reports that claims have gone up. Certainly the conversation is, is very different in a lot of ways. Employees are talking about it. I I can tell you that for sure because we're hearing from them. But what I think is really interesting and what continues to come back to me is now I'm do, I do quite a bit of speaking on behalf of HR Uprise. And what, what really comes back to me is that people are paying attention. They get that there's something there, 
for a lot of people, it feels like the rules have changed, which again, I feel like that's probably a whole other conversation about whether they truly have. But certainly the awareness is there. And yet, yes, I think business in general is really slow to catch up. But what I keep hearing over and over again from leaders is they have no idea where to start. Yeah, we get that that this is different. People are talking about it, that people are speaking up. I think that was the power of me too, that mostly women, of course, it was not solely women, but people finally feeling the safety in the numbers and the the desire to tell their own stories. And it was interesting. I Even within my own circles, I heard from a lot of friends and men in particular would say, oh my goodness, I had no idea it was quite so widespread. Gosh, that was when everybody on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, they were all sharing their own and saying, yes, me too. And a lot of times they weren't even telling the full story. They would just say, yes, me too. Um, and I heard quite a few men, friends, male friends who would say, I had no idea it was this widespread. And yet none of the women in my life were that surprised. And so I think there is this kind of awareness and awakening in a way that I think has been positive. And yet it's really clear to me now that most businesses, certainly leaders within organizations, don't really know what to do about it. Yeah. And we're so afraid of having uncomfortable conversations, which yeah. is, it's a lot of these leaders think they need to know exactly what to do about it, as opposed to yeah. starting the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's one of the things that we talk about. It's kind of the, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I think that within HR Uprise, we can certainly help. And again, even our, our target audience really being HR, there are many, many layers to this, many, many layers. And there is not one right answer. But I do think what's become really, really clear is that the old ways of doing things, certainly, it, the answer is not do more of what we've been doing. So I see also statistics or reports from um, employment law offices saying that they're inundated with these requests for harassment training. And yet... I'm now seeing quite a bit of research, and I certainly have experienced it myself in my, my HR practices, that traditional harassment training, doubling down on traditional harassment training is not the right answer. It actually is, depending on how it's facilitated, harassment training, traditional harassment training, you know, that bad 80s video, right, of the definition um, of quid pro quo and things like that, the legal definition of harassment, that it actually makes things worse. It actually makes people less likely to come forward if something is were to happen. And so it is, it's, it's terrifying and it's scary to hear things like that. Oh, well, we must just need to do more harassment training. Well, maybe, but it's probably not the same old stuff that we've been doing because it hasn't been working. It's interesting to me as well that this is such an emergent movement right? And yeah. so it, it makes sense that leadership teams don't know the exact playbook for how to respond. It's a, it, by nature, the whole movement is emergent, right? And so that means that people on the edges, that means that those being marginalized, that means that where the movement is coming from are the people, in some sense, that we need to just talk to and be curious and learn especially as leader and that that's even, and, and I'm, I'm not an expert, you know, I'm not proclaiming to be an expert, but that's even what 
creates a safe space in the first place is asking questions and being willing to mess up. And I mean, I go through this over and over and over again in any leadership I, training I ever do with people in any situation, but leadership is actually just risking messing up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. being willing, it's being willing to risk messing it up and looking, looking bad. But it seems like also in our society right now is there's a huge risk of looking bad, right? So mm-hmm. I, can, I, I have compassion as well for the fear that yeah. leaders have in, in stepping up to have the conversation. Yeah, it, it's certainly not easy. And, you know, it's one thing to say, it's time to get uncomfortable and we have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And a lot of leaders I've worked with over the years would say, absolutely, sure. But then when it gets right down to it, <laughs> right where the rubber meets the road, is there that can become really challenging. I think what me too, so, so I agree with, with what you said about Me Too being emergent and this, this kind of whole movement being emergent in, in a way. And what I think is changing really for the better is that you do, we are hearing more often the voices of people who have been marginalized, that the way that the system has been set up for so many years has put a very small group of people with very similar characteristics in a position of power. And what Me Too has started, um, and it really has been the doorway, in, at least as I, as I have experienced, it's been the doorway into so many other conversations that become connected. And the constant theme through all of that really is the idea that we are giving voice and giving platform in this movement, if we want to use that as a really broad term, has really done that, has given people who have historically within society, within our workplaces, within our families, it has given, has given an opportunity for voices to those who typically have not had the voices, or maybe they've spoken up before and it's been explained away. Um, we talk within HR Uprise about all the ways in which we rationalize and gaslight is a newer term to me um, in the past few years as we've been learning, but the way that we gaslight victims the way that we explain things away. Um, oh, I'm sure it wasn't meant that way. Oh, are you sure that, you know, I just had somebody tell me the other day that early in her career, she was harassed by her boss and she worked for a relatively small company. And so she reported it and to her boss and, or to a, a, the owner of the company. And the owner of the company said, oh, yep, I, I totally hear you. I understand that's, un, that's unfortunate and I will deal with it. But you understand that, you know, this will likely ruin his career and he has a family. And so I just want you to understand the consequences of what you're asking me to do. I'm willing to do it, but <laughs> you understand it. what you're asking me to do. And I thought, what an awful position. And so of course her response is, oh yeah, no, this is not, this is not worth that. And so, but that type of situation plays itself out over and over and over again. It might not be quite that overt, but there's so many ways that we talk people out of even acknowledging their own experience. And as I look at me too, and people having this opportunity in so many different ways over the past few years to tell their story, um, but for people to really listen, um, Mm. I think that part has shifted, but it's also really challenging the status quo challenging, you know, these, what it's doing is kind of uh, disrupting 
a power structure that's been in place for a long time. And that does feel really uncomfortable, especially if you, whether you have been aware of it or not, whether you've been a part of it or you have been a part, a lot of us have been a part of a system that has benefited us in many, many different ways. And so having a disruption to that system, even if in the end it will be a really positive thing, can it does, it causes a ton of anxiety and it causes a ton of emotional response. And, um, and that can be really, really uncomfortable and very scary. Yeah. The challenge and one of the challenges that I've noticed too, is that this it's, it's complex as well. So when I, I, mm-hmm. I worked at a startup that had a high profile issue mm-hmm. and the employees of the company were so close to each other. And there were actually instances of questionable behavior amongst our group of friends within the company. And I was privy to all sides of the conversation amongst that group of friends. And I was listening to women talk themselves out of reporting something yeah. For the, for the same reasons of of really caring, they actually did yeah. really caring about this other person, and and it's so it's so complicated too because there's, you know, I think there's the more like cut and dry. This is just your boss, and you know, this thing went down, and like totally not okay, and it's not okay anyways. But it's so fraught with, it's not okay anyways. But I, it's it's complex for so many of the employees even within the scenario, and I just remember witnessing my friend talk to herself about it. And it, I just felt, mm-hmm. I've never felt so torn. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it all the time. It's one of the things, you know, power dynamics is a huge term. And again, it's so complex in the way that it plays itself out, especially in the workplace. But I see it all the time over the years as I have coached many different teams within HR. Myself, one of the things that I have learned is really, really critical in a harassment investigation is to never, you cannot underestimate the power of, I refer to it as survivor guilt, but it's this idea of Mm -hmm. somebody, and I've seen this play out over and over again, someone can endure the absolute worst behavior from someone who's in a position of power over them. It is the worst, most abhorrent behavior, and yet... Nobody wants to feel like they are responsible for someone else losing their job. And what I have learned is that it is incredibly important to sit down with that person and to, first of all, that is a huge part of what keeps people from coming forward in the first place. And so that what I find frequently is by the time it gets to me as an HR person, it's been going on for a long time and it has to reach a breaking point before someone will come forward. And that is awful. It is the worst thing to you sit and listen to what someone has been enduring and to know that it's been going on for so long. And they thought, again, it gets explained away in lots of different ways. I don't think anybody will listen to me, which is a very legitimate fear. And no one will believe me or, oh, it's not that bad. Right. I mean, most of the time it reaches it reaches a really critical mass before people come forward. And but even then, somebody can experience the worst behavior and, and yet the, they don't want to feel responsible for somebody else losing their job. And so I'm very careful to say when someone comes forward, you did exactly the right thing. 
we don't know what will happen. We'll do the investigation. But if this person loses their job, it is because of their behavior, not because you came forward. It's really important to place the accountability where it belongs. And that that's the problem. And again, this is this kind of comes back to what I was talking about earlier with the traditional harassment training and how it can make things worse. This is the environment where it actually makes things worse. It makes people less likely to come forward. And so what we've learned, what we are learning, and my work with Rational, my day job, has really been this amazing experimental lab for all of these things. And we have really become huge advocates of Sometimes it's called ally training. Sometimes it's called bystander intervention training, but they're very similar concepts. And the idea is, so the way that we did it was we had our team submit questions and we had a forum for them to do that anonymously. We just got the questions that, you know, we would get in the hallways. And so we collected all of those and found out there were a few really interesting things that people wanted to know. And a lot of it was, well, what happens if, you know, it's a lot of these, what happens if something happens outside of work? What happens if, is it okay to hug? That was a huge question. I'm a really huggy person. I'm a generous person in that way. But now I realize like maybe that's not acceptable to some people. Is it possible for me to harass someone without knowing it? These are all the questions that were on people's minds. And so we went through one by one and we would say, okay, what happens if something does happen outside of work? If it's, let's say there are two coworkers who are at mostly the same level, one person asks the other out, they politely decline and it ends there. Probably not a big deal, right? Now what happens if something, let's say that it doesn't end there and that the first person continues to pursue the second person. Yeah, now we're starting to get into a little bit more dicey territory. Now let's say one of the first person is supervisor. There's a supervisor at the other. And so we just kind of go through these different scenarios and we get an opportunity to talk through why power dynamics are so important and why it's so clear. It's a huge red line, you know, that cannot be crossed and things like that. So at the end of this, and we went through literally every scenario with our team and, and at the end of it, had this opportunity to say, okay, we couldn't possibly predict every possible scenario that would come up. And yet you have a pretty good idea of some of the different context that that matter when it comes to making these decisions now you know you have a much better idea about what's acceptable and what's not because that's another way that we gaslight (laughs) and uh, you have a better idea about what's acceptable and what's not and now you know that if you see something you have to say something and we train we talk our team Mm -hmm. through how to do that there are lots of different ways to do it But the more that we can empower other people, number one, to know for sure, trust your gut. If you see something that you think you have this, you know, little flag goes up for you, there's probably something there. And there are lots and lots of different ways to do that. And the more that people can practice saying those things, saying, oh, yeah, no, we don't, that's not how we do things here. Or, oh, you know what I thought you just said, but that couldn't possibly have been what you were planning to say. Or, I don't, I don't like that. I mean, there's a whole huge spectrum, right, of the ways that you can respond when things are said um, or when something, when something happens and there are other people around. But the more that we can do that, the more people feel empowered. And what we have found is that we now start to hear much, much, much sooner before things get really bad. You know, when you look at Harvey Weinstein and the Matt Lowers of the world and all of these really terrible, terrible examples, 
that that behavior has never really been, at least for a long time, that behavior has not been acceptable. So it's not like those rules changed at all. But who we're really trying to impact in all of this, you think about the, remember the infamous Access Hollywood videotape with now President Trump and Billy Bush? Yep. What I, the way I describe it is we're not trying to go after the person making the horrendous comments. We're going after Billy Bush. We're going after that guy who, I guarantee you, he was not okay with what was being said. And yet he stood by and giggled like a 14-year-old boy. Again, why? Again, you can look into all the reasons why. The power dynamics at play. He wanted to get ahead. You know, I mean, there's lots of different reasons why. But, yeah. you know, we're really trying to empower that person in this scenario. And we want that to play out within the workplace. You know, I think that's a great point is empowering and educating and creating a context for the, what did you call it? The observer or the... The bystander, the, by, the bystander yeah, the or the bystander, ally. Mm-hmm. The bystander or the ally, as opposed to trying to just make sure it doesn't happen, right? Like things are going to happen, yeah. but the more we empower people to know how to speak up, know how to intervene, that's huge. So Rebecca, I'm curious. So you started speaking up and telling your whole truth mm-hmm. in this previous role. Talk to me about how... How did that happen? How did you summon the, whether it's courage or fortitude or just decisiveness to start to say something? Yeah. Well, it took me a while. Um, And even now it's still, to be honest, it's a little scary. I think uh, like I said early on, it was a huge turning point and a huge aha moment for me when I realized that that itself had not even raised (laughs) to the forefront of my mind as I thought back on my own experience. And so I started, I started small. I started with my immediate team and started to tell a little bit more of my story. And I realized it was, Hey, you know, I never really told you the full story of why I left my last company. And so I went into a bit more of the story and, and the response was incredibly supportive which helped, of course. But what I found, and then I started to tell a bit more of my story on as I'm doing public speaking. And what I have found is that there's tremendous power in vocalizing and telling the story. What I found is that within HR, we don't tell our stories nearly enough. We in HR are the keepers of confidentiality, right? We're the keepers of the company secrets. We're the keepers of all kinds of things. And there are tons, there's tons that is not appropriate for public consumption. And yet, I think that our idea about what confidentiality really means and our role in that, I think has gotten kind of morphed over time to become this kind of Frankenstein idea about what it really should be. And I think that's a huge contributor to why people say, well, HR is there to protect the company and not the employee. And my argument is that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And now as I tell a bit more and I can go into lots and lots of detail about what led up to it and then how I even made the decision to leave the company that when I did and what led up to that. And what I'm finding now is that now that I am in a place where I feel safer, I feel safer to tell the story, that that's now really empowering to other people. And in a way, I'm able to speak up on behalf of the women 
from that organization in a way that I couldn't do then. As I realized, um, and what led me to decide to leave when I did was that I, I finally had this recognition. I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to affect the change I wanted to, and I had to leave. And that was really hard. It was a really hard decision to make. But now that I am in this place where I feel safe to do it, I feel like it's now a responsibility because I remember so clearly what it felt like in that moment to feel so powerless, to feel like I was trying to do the right thing, um, and yet it wasn't going anywhere. Um, and to know it's really clear to me now since we started HR Uprise, as we've heard from so many different people saying, yes, I'm in the same place, or I've been there before. And people feel... People feel more bold to come forward when they see someone else doing the same. And I think that speaks to a lot of the power of Me Too and why it went viral yeah. when it did. Rebecca, I so we talked a little bit about the conversation about bringing your authentic self to work and then the yeah. experience that so many people have in, in code switching in in yeah. coming to work and i it seems related honestly to this whole conversation yeah. right about telling the truth i'd love to open up that part of the conversation as well because I, I know it's something you're passionate yeah. about and it just as we're talking it just seems to me that it's all you know we're saying how can hr start to tell the whole truth instead of just part of the truth and how can hr start to be really really an ally of the people instead of being seen as protecting the company? And then how can we create work environments where it seems like Me Too and sexual harassment and women being, you know, I guess primarily women, though men are sexually harassed as well, but women not feeling comfortable in having this conversation is a part of a bigger conversation of other people not feeling comfortable to be themselves at work and saying, you know, if I was really right. myself and acted the way that I really am, I would not have a job here anymore. Yeah. So it has been really, really interesting learning. So I will start this by saying I am a white, cisgender, heterosexual woman in the workplace. So I can only speak from my own experience. And I could not, should not ever, would not ever even think about trying to speak on behalf of someone else's experience. And yet I found this really, really interesting opportunities. So one of the posts still to this day, one of the posts that's been the most popular that got the most attention and the most interaction was a quote from someone. It was a discussion we were having and he happened to be an African-American male. And he said, this whole notion of bring your authentic self to work is kind of bullshit. If I brought my authentic self to work, I could get fired. And it led into this really interesting conversation, this really deep conversation about this concept of code switching. And so for me, what I hope to do is bring awareness to a lot of people who are not aware even of this idea. And again, this really speaks to this idea of power dynamics at play. And it's really common for all of us, if we are, especially if we're in a position of privilege, not to be aware of even the impact of that privilege. And this is a really, really important step into understanding that. And so I talk about it in the keynotes that I do as well. And so the idea of code switching is this idea of I have to put on a completely different version of myself that quite frankly is more palatable to the dominant party, and in this case, in the workplace. 
but I have to change, whether it's changing my hairstyle, changing my voice, changing the vernacular that I use, the way that I dress, you know, all of these things that you essentially have to put on a completely different version of yourself because you have to do that in a way that will make you more acceptable to the status quo. And again, I cannot speak for, I can speak to my experience as a woman in the workplace, um, but I can't speak beyond that. But even opening the door to that conversation, acknowledging that that is something very, very real. I think for HR audiences, I think it is really important for us to be aware of that. And as I give this talk and I talk about this in HR audiences, it's still one of those things where it's a concept that people have never even thought about. And what I want to try to think about is all of those things. I'm sure that most people who say, because I hear it a lot, bring your authentic self to work and you have to, you know, bring, we want this kind of workplace. And I think it's really, I'm sure it's well-intentioned. And yet we have to be aware that even those things that are well-intentioned, we have to be more concerned with the impact than the intent. What is it really like? I was, I was sorry. I was just going to say, it actually annoys me when people say that. And even <laughs> as, a, as a cis white male, heterosexual, I get the heebie-jeebies in a lot of workplaces. I can't imagine, right, yeah. what that experience yeah. might be like for somebody who's transgender or just from such a different cultural context. Yeah. That it, it actually it actually just bothers me when companies say that unless I really see them doing the, some work to make that possible. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's the key. Again, it's just attempting to understand and experience beyond your own and understanding and being comfortable. This is where, again, this discomfort comes into play, just being comfortable enough to say, I couldn't possibly understand what it's like for you in your lived experience, but I want to sit down and hear about it. I want to sit down and, and hear about all the ways in which I may be causing harm to you and that I'm not even aware of. And to sit in that and to, to be okay just listening, not have to explain it away, not have to be defensive about it, not have to try and make excuses yeah. for it. But the best thing that we can do, especially for those of us who are in this position of privilege, the best thing that we can do is just listen and absorb it. Yeah, Rebecca, so a couple, couple questions here. And first, I want to go to something we talked about before, which was about what it takes for whether you're an HR leader or on the business side to lead through this change and that people are really desiring rules they're desiring a formula mm-hmm. or a set of rules by which to be safe again. And one of the things we had talked about is that on some sense, it comes back to each individual person and especially people in leadership positions actually doing work on themselves to be yeah. comfortable having these conversations, right? Or to be able to have that perspective. So could you talk a little bit about that? I, I suppose one for yourself, how have you been able to support yourself as a leader, I suppose, in growing in order to have these conversations? Because I suppose I have an assertion that maybe the Rebecca f- that you were five years ago isn't the Rebecca you are now. And that's part of the reason that you're able to be a leader in this context. 
I, yes, I'm definitely not the same person I was five years ago. And I hope five years from now (laughs) will be um, an even different person. I think for each of us, the first thing that comes to mind, I think you're right. People are looking for rules. I don't know that they really, they don't exist in the way that I think most people are looking for them. Because a lot of the rules are sit down and listen. (laughs) You know, it's, and again, I don't even think that's a rule. That is a recommendation for how to move through this. I think you're exactly right. The key really is for each of us to figure out how to do the work ourselves. And there are tons of resources. You have to just start looking. There are tons of books that you can read. There are, again, Instagram is an incredible place for a lot of these kinds of conversations that are happening. I think within leadership, there is a huge opportunity to pass the microphone. We don't have to be the ones talking. And I I will say I struggle with this because to figure out how to use the privilege that I have in a way that will hopefully help further an important conversation. And yet I do not have to be the one to talk. It's about passing the mic to continue to seek out the voices of those who have not always had a platform, to give them a platform of your own. Again, to listen, to not enter into their spaces and cause more harm. Um, And again, part of that is just sitting with the humility and listening to experiences and understanding, again, that I I could not possibly understand what it's like. So I want to listen and try and bear witness to what it is you have to say. It's all of those things, um, but there are lots and lots of ways in which um, we can continue to cause harm if we don't do it in a really thoughtful way. And it's, this is, again, this is the real, it's time to get uncomfortable conversation. This is really it. Because there is a possibility that you'll continue to perpetuate the problem, that you'll continue to perpetuate the system. And yet we have to start somewhere. We have to get started. So lots and lots of ways, again, we can help point people in the direction of places where I personally have learned, where other people have helped. I think we can, you know, continue to share those resources with each other. But again, I I certainly don't have all the answers and my goal is really to elevate the voices of other people who are doing a tremendous amount of work in this, in this area as well. Rebecca, let's say one of our listeners is a head of HR or a business leader, and they want to walk away from this conversation and go back and take a couple steps to create more safety and more inclusion in their work environment for the people that they are working with. What would you say, if you could make it as simple as possible, let's say, what would you say are a couple ways that people can later today go take action in service of this conversation? Yeah. I want to be careful because I don't want people to think it's not that easy. But again, like what are the first couple of steps, I think, is what you're asking. What are a couple of places where you can start? Again, understanding that it's just a start. There are a few things that I ask teams to think of, that I ask HR teams to think about when they come here, my talk or my story. 
The first one, and come back to our earlier conversation, take a look at your harassment training again and blow it up. Be willing to blow it up. That's the first thing. Go start to look again. We have lots of resources with Senator Uprise as well, so they can reach out to us for, that's probably the most common question I get is, okay, I get that my traditional harassment training is not good. Um, it's not what I want to continue to do, but where do I start? So we can certainly help with that. The second thing I would say, well, maybe I'll, I'll throw a third in there as well. But the second thing I would say is look for, I'm, I call it HR acts of courage. It can be small. It can be huge. Um, it can be as small as, you know, I'm going to stop sending out that email that after we fire someone for harassment that says so-and-so has resigned to pursue other opportunities or so-and-so has resigned to spend time with his family. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop lying to my employees. It can be as small as that. It can be as big as I'm going to leave this organization because I understand that it's asking me to compromise my own ethics and values. And anywhere in between, there are lots and lots of different ways to do that. It might be I'm going to have a different conversation with someone and have a courageous conversation or ask a courageous question of someone, but identify what are those acts of courage that you can take that are a step in the right direction. And I think the last thing is start to search. Again, there are tons and tons of resources online. There are tons of organizations that are doing amazing work. There are tons of individuals who are out there really fighting the good fight and trying to bring awareness, especially in the space of diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging. There are lots of terms that really, I think at the end of the day, mean the same thing, but it's understanding a different perspective from our own. And again, we can help point you in some directions, some resources that have been really helpful for us. Um, but again, it's just the start. But we have to start. I really think that's the key. You have to start somewhere. Um, and it's not okay for us to just sit in the status quo, like if I could give HR one message over all the other, it's that we have to be willing to make changes and that it's not okay to just continue the way that we've always been doing things. Yeah. Again, it comes back to like being willing to take a risk, you know, whether it is yeah. take a risk and also accountability. Yeah. We're so afraid of, account- it really is. so afraid of accountability. Yeah, someone said to me a few days ago, you're, you're really asking for a higher level of accountability within HR. And I said, yeah, that, that's really it. I, I'm starting with what I know, and I'm starting with a profession that, you know, has been a part of my life for 20 years or so. Uh, but that's it. It's asking uh, for a higher level of accountability within ourselves. I don't think that HR is nearly as powerless as many people would believe us to be. But I also don't think that HR needs a lot of defending either. I think that we've got to start within ourselves and look, look for a different way of operating. Yeah, there's a message coming up for me that I want to share, especially for folks leading HR functions, or honestly, any part of HR functions is that the role is changing, right? And yeah. just fundamentally changing. And to me, now it's so much more about being a true leader. And, yeah. and in some senses, this conversation we're having is about awareness, self-awareness, the ability to hold multiple perspectives as valid at the same time, <laughs> the ability to positively confront someone in service of the bigger picture, 
the ability to create a safe space for people to have new conversations. And to me, that comes back again to saying to HR leaders, it's time to step up the inner game work. It's time to step up. Like if you really want to successfully lead these functions and be what the company and these people need, that requires a lot of leadership growth that maybe it's getting a coach, maybe it's going to do some of these trainings and, and, but really, you know, in some sense, it's, it's not the same. The, the skills required to me just seem all around leadership, communication, perspective, sharing, and that that is just a different skill set than people used to need to do the job. I think that's exactly right. It really does start with self-development, um, with working on ourselves. We couldn't possibly, how could we possibly lead others if we're not doing the work internally ourselves? And it does require courage. It requires us, I want us to be bold. And bold means that, you know, we're willing to risk it for the greater good. So we're willing to risk our own professional safety, our own personal relationships that, you know, that we're willing to be bold because it's the right thing to do. But it does absolutely start with that inner work. And for what it's worth, now having had many of these conversations with with awesome people leaders like you, Rebecca, is that honestly, the probably the number one theme across the most successful people leaders I'm meeting is courage. It's the it's the yeah. willingness to yeah. it's the willingness to speak up. It's the willingness to say no to the CEO. It's the willingness to send that email that's going to piss people off. I'd say that that is the number one thing, courage. Yeah. Yeah, I really think it is. Well, and it's, it's why as we're in the very, very early days having these conversations about where is this in business, it's why we landed on HR. I think it's really important for us to acknowledge and to be, again, to have the courage to say HR has been complicit. We have been part of the problem. We have perpetuated this. And yet we also are in a key position to help lead the way forward. We can turn that around. It has to start with that self-reflection, with that deep look inward. But we really are in a position as well. If we're bold enough, we can help lead to a different, a different outcome. So Rebecca, as we start to wrap up here, HR Uprise is the Instagram handle. Are there any other ways that if, if folks want to get in touch with you around speaking or following your work, is that, is that the best place to do that? So Instagram is where we started and it's still one of our primary communication tools. So yes, most definitely at HR Uprise. We're also at hruprise.com. So you can certainly reach out to me there. We have a contact us and you can join our email newsletter, find out where we are, what trainings we'll be a part of and, and all of that. So yes, um, those are probably the two best places. We're on a few of the other social media channels, but Instagram is still our primary. Awesome. Rebecca, thank you so much for the work you're doing, for the message that you're sharing. I hold in really high reverence the work to make the human work experience a better, safer, more fulfilling 
experience for humans. And that I believe that that is probably the highest leverage point we have in our society for creating more love and happiness and alleviating suffering is through the human work experience. And so I am grateful to you for using your voice, even when it's not comfortable, to have this conversation and to help other people gain whatever courage or insight they may need to start having the conversation in their lives as well. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this kind of dialogue and hopefully inspire other people to think a little bit differently and again, reach out. I do. I wholeheartedly agree with you. This is the sad reality is there's still so much work to be done. And yet I don't think there's anything more important that we could be focused on. Agreed. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you.